My friends who served in the military tell me that sooner or later, you have to have boots on the ground, that all the technology and all of the work is finally finished up by soldiers who occupy the ground. For the kingdom of God, it is the same way. Sooner or later, you have to have boots on the ground. Wherever people are hurting, where people are confused, where people are struggling, where people are seeking to find a God that they may not know. Oh yeah, you can do all kind of technology. You can do all kind of print. But sooner or later, you got to have boots on the ground. Through our missionary partners all over the world, Brentwood Baptist Church is providing boots on the ground. Sometimes they don't get any further than the zip code right outside this building. Other times they're in places that we cannot tell you because, you know, there are authorities who watch and who are looking for Christians that they will arrest and deport. So we have to be careful. But they're there, boots on the ground. Your giving makes this happen. Because of your faithfulness, they're able to kind of step back from life. They don't have to worry about a full-time job. They don't have to worry about a part-time job. They don't have to worry about providing a home for their family. All of that is done through your faithfulness. They can focus on helping the people who need to be helped. Your giving now is more important than ever. Why? Because the opportunities have never been more open than they are right now. Throughout Middle Tennessee, throughout our country, and throughout the world. Your generosity makes a difference. Don't miss this opportunity. You can text us uh, by saying giving. Use the word giving to 623-623. You can mail us a check. You can use uh, your own bank processes there. However it works for you, you make that happen. But understand how important it is that you give and give now for the work that Brentwood Baptist Church is called to do. Let's pray together. For families who are struggling all over the world, we pray that you will not only give us the people, but you will give us the resources so that your love for them will have boots on the ground. And we pray this in your name. Amen. In a time of loneliness, on the outside, looking in, death was all that surrounded and grief, my only friend. Then, you called my name with gentle words and patient love. What a breath of fresh air. This, this is redemption. It's called Murphy's Law, and that was almost one of them. If anything can go wrong, it will. After all, there's just one stool and all this stage, and I hit it. Murphy's Law, you know it, you live it. Anything can go wrong, it can now, or it will. Now, we have record of this all the way back in the mid-1800s, 1870, in a captain's log who's explaining to his sponsors why a recent sea voyage has gone wrong. Sooner or later, he says, the sea is so complex, the sea is so dangerous, 
that whatever can break sooner or later will. We have traced this thought, this meme, all the way through our culture until it comes up again significantly in the testing of NASA for the early space program. It seems that they had run a test and everything had gone wrong. The test had malfunctioned. Not only had the test malfunctioned, but the machines that they were using, the little computers that were attached to the stress points of this craft, weren't installed correctly. Transducers didn't work at all. And there was a Captain Ed Murphy who in his disgust, when he realized what had gone wrong, said, if there's a wrong way to do it, he said of the technician who installed these transducers, he'll do it. If there's a wrong way to do it, he'll do it. That was captured by a colonel, a Colonel Stapp, who quoted Captain Murphy in those early days of our spaceflight program. It became known as Murphy's Law. And among the Mercury astronauts, those first heroes who went into space by themselves in one capsule, or a single guy in a capsule, it was known as Murphy's Law. We were pressing our technology, our, our knowledge of science to the very edge, and there was always something that couldn't do what we thought it could do. There's always something breaking, so it became known. Hey, if anything can go wrong, it will. So anticipate it. Prepare for it. Just know this is the thing that happens when you want to do something amazing or when you want to grow. That's a positive way of spinning it, isn't it? But when you want to be brave, when you want to do something heroic, then you have to know that something's going to go wrong along the way. But sometimes this happens in just everyday life, and it's not fair. It's not right. Why do bad things happen to good people? And more times than not, we end up quoting Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. It's one thing when it's a failed test. It's another thing when it's your life. Believe it or not, you're not the first one. I'm not the first one to face this question, to deal with this moment. We have a very, very old story captured in our Bible. It's a story of Ruth. The book is named after Ruth. The main character is Naomi. Verse 1, chapter 1, here's the story. And during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land, and a man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two sons. Their names were Milan and Kilan. Now they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they entered the land of Moab and settled there. Now Naomi's husband, Elimelech, well, he died, and she was left with two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. And they lived in Moab for about ten years, and after that, Milan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two children, 
and without her husband. She said to her daughters-in-law, prepared to leave, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab. And because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. And she left the place where they had been living and accompanied by her two daughter-in-law, she traveled along the road back to the land of Judah. Each of you go back to your mother's home, she said. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. And she kissed them and wept loudly. No, they said, we will go with you and to your people. But Naomi replied, return home. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go. I'm too old to have another husband. And if I thought it was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing for those sons to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. And two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited to see their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi said, call me Mara, for the Almighty has, has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has pr pr pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back to the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. We feel Naomi's pain. We have been there. When life turns against us and we feel the bitter taste of grief, Let us learn from this story about your faithfulness to us even when we can't see it. About your plans for us even when we don't know them. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Every story begins with a problem. But not this one. It begins with a great moment, a happy moment. There was a man who lived near Bethlehem there was a famine. He takes care of his family and he moves his wife and their two sons to Moab where there's food. They're happy. They're safe. They're secure. They have two sons. The sons get married. Well, this is almost sounding like a Hallmark movie. 
But then the story turns. The husband dies. Elimelech dies. Now, that's bad, but it's not unheard of. Men always seem to die before women. That's just kind of the way of things, or so it looks. Naomi is left a widow, but she has two sons. Now, the sons would take care of her. The daughter-in-laws would take care of her. There's no social security. There's no retirement plan. It was always family taking care of family. And so the sons step up and do what is right. And from the context of the story, it seems that these two boys did right by their mom. And then they died. Now, we have a mess. We, we have a very complicated mess. We are in a strange country. We have no men to protect us. Now, don't, you know, overreact about patriarchy and all this. It was a male-dominated society then. There were certain roles in the culture that everybody was expected to, uh, to, to live within, and everybody knew that. It was just the way it was then, and it kind of helps us understand the story, how abandoned and how alone Naomi felt. She had no one to care for her, except those two daughter-in-laws who had no real obligation to her. So she tells her two daughter-in-laws, go back home. Go back to your own mothers. Go back to your own gods. Go back to your own culture. I'm going to go back to my home, and that's where I'll die. Orpah, does that name sound familiar? A lot of you are thinking that it's misspelled because you think this is Oprah's name. No, Oprah got her name from this story. Her parents or someone misspelled it on her birth certificate. That's where this name comes from. So Orpah does what Naomi asks. She leaves. Ruth doesn't. I'm not going to leave you. And she has that beautiful poetry of, uh, that's quoted at just almost every wedding. Entreat me not to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was not going to change her mind, she stopped trying to persuade her, and they went back to Bethlehem. Naomi is welcomed in her hometown, Bethlehem. But Naomi says, nah, I don't want to be named Naomi anymore. Call me Madara, which means bitterness. My life now is very bitter. This is what God has done to me. I don't know why God has allowed this to happen. I don't know why God has done this to me. And I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I really don't want to talk about it anymore. Life is very, very bitter. Now, the only difference between Naomi and some of us is honesty. Or if I were to ask some of you who have walked Naomi's walk, walked her road, you would tell me, I'm fine. None of you would tell me, I've changed my name. I don't go by that name anymore, Mike, because of everything that's happened in my life. And you wouldn't go downtown and change it legally. 
You wouldn't change your birth name. You wouldn't change it on your driver's license. But you would change it in those conversations that you have with yourself. You would change it in how you think about yourself, the name that you give yourself. We all have a nickname for us when we talk to ourselves, when we're trying to get our our own attention, when something needs to be focused on, we will say, okay, and we will call ourselves by that nickname that we've given ourselves, and you will change that name, and you will change that name to loser. You will change that name to forgotten. You will change that name to nobody. You will change that name to doesn't matter. This is who I am, Naomi says. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me. Every story begins with a problem. And this one is huge. Naomi will not enjoy her grandchildren. She will not enjoy growing old with her husband. She will not enjoy watching her sons continue to be the men that they were going to be. All of that has been taken from her. Now, in a time where she should be surrounded by family, she is alone. But the writer of Ruth gives you a little hint. Did you see it? They arrived at Bethlehem at the time of the harvest. If this was a movie, the music would change right here. The music would give you just a little uplift to know that, whoa, wait a minute, something's going on. Because while Naomi has come to town empty, I left full, I came back empty. This is the time of harvest. Something is going on. Something is about to change. Now, you are already frustrated because we've read a whole chapter of this book and God's name hasn't been mentioned once. You're already a little leery of this book because there's been no angels, no great miracle. It's just a couple of women trying to get through life. Kind of like us. And maybe this is the whole point of the book. That just when you tell everybody you have arrived empty, we have come at time of harvest. Now, I do not believe for a minute that God caused Elimelech to die. I don't believe he caused Naomi's sons to die. I, I believe life happens. I also believe that God never quits working. Now, we often quote Romans 8, and and we'll quote it when something goes wrong, and we'll say, well, you know, all things are working together for good. And and we shallowly run by that passage as if it's supposed to make us feel better and never take time to sit down with that passage and understand what it's talking about. It's talking about not the circumstances, Not the details of your life or the moment. It's talking about the creative genius of God. That no matter what you give him, he can make something glorious out of it. In fact, he can make something glorious even when he starts with nothing. So Naomi shows up. 
I'm empty. And God starts to work. There's no big announcement. There's no trumpet. It's just the silence of God working. You're here in a time of harvest, Naomi. You're here in a time of, of abundance, Naomi. I know you call yourself empty. I know you call yourself bitter. But you're here in a time when I'm working. And I'm going to take every circumstance of your life, every situation, every relationship, and I'm going to keep weaving it together until the moment when you will celebrate and praise my name for my faithfulness. He'll take every situation of your life, every moment, and weave it together to a moment of his glory to the point that you will thank him you went through the tough time. Now, I know you think I'm nuts when I say that, but I'm not. I've actually heard, heard people tell me, point blank, here's what happened, Mike, and they will describe a horrendous journey. Returning from war, wounded. An impossible family situation from their childhood. A sickness. And then after they finish their story, they will look at me, sometimes with tears in their eyes, and they will tell me, for what I know now, from what I know now about who God is, I wouldn't change a thing. God is always working even when you don't know it. God is always pursuing His divine purposes in creation and in your life, in my life. May not be checking with you moment to moment, may not check in with me from time to time, but never doubt that He's working. So here we are at the end of chapter 1, and you've got your head on your chin going, hmm, is anything going to come out of this mess? Is God going to be able to do anything here? You know me. I've told you before, I always read the last paragraph of the book first. I want to see where we're going, and then I want to follow the author as they take me on this trip from where we are to where we're going. So I'll tell you, I cheated. <laughs> I read the last paragraph. And that last paragraph is Ruth 4. Uh-uh. Oh, no, no. That last paragraph is found in Matthew. Oh, that's right, Matthew. In fact, it's found in the first chapter of Matthew. In verse 5, here's what we read. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was the one who helped the spies in Jericho. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. 
Ruth is in the story of how Jesus got here. Now, I don't want to steal all the thunder and tell you all the story. But let's just say this. God is brilliantly creative. And sometimes when life goes wrong, when life turns bitter, he can step in, paint a new picture, write a new storyline. So we get to where he wanted to go all the time. When everything was perfect, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. One of the things that made that birth perfect was his genealogy tracing the hand of God across the generations. And in doing that, he used a Moabite woman named Ruth who was the grandmother of David. Now part of the fun of this series is we're going to fill in all the details of how that happened. But here's what you need to know for today. Every story begins with a problem. But our God is so brilliant in his creativity that all of his stories end in just the right way at just the right time. And they always end with Jesus. So maybe this morning, as you listen, as you participate with us, you're saying, I know where I am in this story. I'm here with Naomi, and my name is Bitter. That's okay. You are where you are. And where you are is always a great place to start. Maybe this morning is the time to create the opportunity for this relationship with Jesus Christ, so you can see how he's working across time and the generations, even now this morning, how he's working in you. If you want to talk more about that relationship and what it means, we'd love to talk with you. Will you text CONNECT to 623-623, and we'll be in touch with you, I promise you, as soon as we can. If you want to know more about who we are as a church and for the ministry that God has called this body of believers to, we'd love talking about that. So let us know. Text connect 623-623. However Jesus has come to you, whatever story he's writing or rewriting, he's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the decisions we make are exactly what you want. We pray this in your name. Amen.